Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Today he joins us from Jerusalem here for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you again, as always, and especially from beautiful Jerusalem. Yeah, what's it like there in the capital of Israel? In the united capital of Israel and the Jewish people, it is beautiful. And many people raising questions about certain actions uh, this week, about quite raising questions about the, the distinction between it, parts of Israel and, the, uh, and quote, territories. Uh, in regard to the BDS campaign, which yeah, but I don't, you know, I, I saw your statement on it, and you got to give me a little bit more detail because it seemed like in your statement uh, when you went ahead and supported the congressional anti boycott legislation, which I'm sure you'd encourage everybody to support, but you did mention that the the language has problems in that it does not distinguish or it does distinguish. Explain the problem in terms of settlements and final negotiated borders between Israel and the Palestinians as reflected by this legislation. Uh, I have no problem with the language, and we don't. The problem was the State Department had problem with the language, which the President signed into law without any comment, and which during the debate, the members of Congress made clear this was not about settlements, it was not a law governing, you know, American policy towards, quote, the territories or or towards settlements. It was a law about BDS, but it does say, uh, it does reference the boycotts of Israel and the territories because the the anti-Israel forces, the BDS forces, use this as a as a means to delegitimize Israel by starting and saying we're boycotting products from the West Bank and then products from Israel. Second, they wanted to include Jerusalem, mm. uh, which is by some definitions across the Green Line and therefore mm. not uh, recognized yet as part of of Israel. So the uh, the legislation itself was not a political statement it was a moral statement and one that sent a message to Europeans and others and and urged american trade representatives and others to to work to counter any kinds of attempts to to join in the boycotters sanctions movement against israel the state department announced that they were troubled by the language and wouldn't implement that part about the the territories interesting and so you, That's what we responded to. Right, so you felt that that additional language or additional words were necessary because that area of Israel has been targeted especially by the BDS movement. It, because they were especially targeted, right. and, uh, and the, the drafters, the members of Congress, were the ones who felt that the language was essential to reinforce the point that they were trying to make. Right. Um, is this? How does it work practically now? Uh, the United States will or won't do what with countries or with um, uh, companies that are part of BDS? Well, as you know, there's also state legislation being passed. The New Jersey introduced one now, which we have a little bit of a problem with, and I hope the New Jersey listeners will make their voice heard because it exempts and uh, organizations or even companies that provide uh, Palestinians with aid, mm. when in fact it's many of those organizations that are at the forefront of the BDS movement, uh, the Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions movement. Uh, but the initiative, of course, is, is an important one. The exemption could be problematic, and a lot of groups could hide behind it. The New York State has, as you know, and 
Tennessee signed and South Carolina has very strong legislation. Tennessee, weaker one, Illinois strong legislation, and 30 other states are considering it. Now with, uh, with the FTA, the free trade agreement, to which this is attached, mm. uh, the, the anti-boycott uh, resolutions, it means that on a local level you can't do business with a state or a pension plan if you abide by the boycott. And on a federal level, it means that steps have to be taken and there have to be reports about companies that uh, are found to, to be adhering to the boycott. And so is there mention in FTA about supporting you know, aid organizations or that wouldn't fall into no. this? Because it would be irrelevant to this? Yes. Well, it wouldn't be relevant. They don't make an exemption. The New Jersey legislation, for some reason, uh, exempts them, and there's no reason that nobody should be participating in the boycott. And if you're, you know, we, we saw this week with the flotilla that, uh, you know, much ballyhooed, but quick end to it without very little, it, it just fizzled at the end. Why? Because Israel boarded the, the boats. There was no, uh, and, and were very well prepared. There was no confrontation. They, in fact, gave them letters saying we welcome you and all that. And if you really want to give aid, we can tell you how. Right. And on the boat, the total aid was one nebulizer and one solar panel. That's it. Two little cardboard boxes were the total of the aid. So it's really clear that this was a propaganda ploy. But this is a group bringing aid. So they theoretically could hide behind that exemption in the legislation um, to carry on their activities. Is it likely they were not looking for a violent confrontation, or they just assumed the Israelis would be much better prepared than in the infamous incident? Well, I think Israel was better prepared and took precautionary steps, but I think that this group and that uh, the Israelis made clear that they understood that they were not interested in confrontation. They had verbal debates with them. The former president of Tunisia was on there because he has nothing else to do. And the other three boats <laughs> turned back, did not even attempt to, to run through the... You don't know the schedule of the former president of Tunisia. Come on. Oh, we do. <laughs> uh, it's a safe assumption. <laughs> all right. At least you're admitting that you're just assuming so. Uh, you know, it's 4th of July weekend, and... Uh, Look, I don't want to, you know, alarm anybody and, uh, you know, cause a stir out there, but, um, and I also don't know if these training camps that I have, that I have heard about are necessarily quote unquote ISIS training camps. We know there are a lot of different training camps in the United States of America, right? Including in New York State. A lot of different radical groups are in a lot of different places. Um, we know there have been threats specifically targeting, you know, 4th of July weekend. We know we saw what happened yesterday, uh, which I would assume, you know, p- put up, uh, you know, some warning signals around this country in terms of what can happen, especially, you know, in high-profile locations. Uh, is there I, – I always ask you this during high-profile times, whether it's the high holidays or, you know, uh, American high-profile times, is there any reason to be more alarmed this weekend than any other time based on the threats from ISIS? Not to be more alarmed, but to be more aware. Not because of, uh, not in terms of Jewish targets, but generally, although Jewish targets are always juicy and and um, um, more likely than general uh, targets to be hit, but not not uh, anymore. As you see all over, it's Christian sites, it's you know archaeological and historical sites, it's uh, uh, Egyptian police. It's, bathers in tunisia on a beach i mean it's everybody everywhere which is exactly what we warned about all of these years and that everybody who thinks that it was israel's problem or that they were exempt from it has found out that this is a universal problem and it takes a global approach 
to deal with it. So people, yes, should be more aware. We're, in fact, having next week in Washington a, an exercise with Homeland Security and uh, selected Jewish leaders to, to discuss and to prepare. And we're looking at a global plan to, to work um, the security issue and, and to cooperate with our counterpart communities in Europe and elsewhere um, to work together. And, and also because we, we can learn things from them just as they learn from us and making the resources of everyone collectively available can only enhance the efforts. This is a huge issue and the amount of monies that are required, the amount of resources are staggering. So we have to find ways that we can be most effective at the least cost. Yeah, boy. Uh, and it's and it seems that the federal agents are working overtime this weekend, especially in high-profile areas. They are. The NYPD, I assure you, is, and they have always been very effective in, on this front and, and uh, we're at the forefront of it. Um, the local FBI leadership has been very responsive to it. Look, it, it, it's impossible to prevent every act. Yeah. People will then dismiss them because of it is wrong. Malcolm, it's obvious that I'm dancing around it, but uh, obviously it came across my desk this week, the number of training camps for, you know, enemy groups that are quote-unquote in our backyard, so... I know, I know you know what I'm talking about, and it's just, it's, it's startling at times. And, and if people listen to this show for the last, what, 10, 20 years, you know, we warned about it, we talked about it, but, you know, it's very hard. And then, then people say, well, this is, uh, you know, we don't want to, it's gloom, it's doom, it's, ne- it's negative things. It's not negative. It's reality. If you know about it, you can do something about it. If you mm-hmm. don't know about it, you can't. We shouldn't exaggerate it. Uh, the camps, the most of the training is online. People don't know about. But here in New York, you had a blatant camp where they were using t- targeting school buses for shooting practices and and, pra- and other things. That uh, I know this, the state police and others monitor these places, but it is obviously of concern. Uh, is it a proper forum for Michael Steinhardt, the president of the Judy and Michael Steinhardt Foundation, to call out Ambassador Power and ask, "Will you defend Israel?" at the U.N. as you promised. One of the paragraphs reads, first you refused to rule out supporting resolutions that target Israel, then you resisted, quote, making blanket declarations and hypothetical resolutions, and now, when pressed to affirm that you would not risk the safety and security of Israel threatened by this highly biased French resolution, you hid behind a lawyerly, quote, there is no resolution in front of us. What do you think of bringing this to page five of the New York Times? Well, I, for one, am not in favor of uh, generally of making the New York Times richer, and don't know the value of ads, and people generally don't read. Uh, I asked people about it, and most, almost everybody looked at me with a you know blank look that they hadn't seen it or hadn't read it. Um, Michael Steinhardt is a credible person, and uh, um, I think he was uh, expressing something because he had hosted a meeting for her a number of years ago. Is his point yeah, on these target? These are legitimate questions to okay. raise, but it, but it is wrong on, the, on a number of counts. One is she does not make the policy. Number two, she has been fighting on many of the fronts for us, as the Israeli ambassadors at the UN have attested. Um, and, and most recently, the United States is standing up in, in Geneva and at the uh, UN on the, on the uh, various resolutions. And the fact is that there isn't a resolution, and there may not be one, because the French this week, and, and indicated to me as well, French officials told me as well that, you know, if the Palestinians don't want it, which is what Fabulous heard, and the Israelis don't want it, or if we face a possible uh, veto, 
then we then there's no reason for us to introduce it. And instead, they shifted, if you noticed, to this quartet plus. You remember the quartet led by yep. Tony Blair right. of the U.S., the EU, uh, and he adds to it now the Palestinian, the Arab states, that he wants to have a quartet plus. <clears throat> and of course, Russia was was part of it as well. That. Uh, you know, I think that these are generally poised. These are not things that are going to be productive, and especially Nachum at a time. And and this week we saw it. If you remember, I mentioned last week that that uh, Fayyad had been targeted by Abbas, and it seemed very strange. And they they froze his bank accounts because he clearly saw him as a political threat. Now right. they went after Yasser Abed Rabo, a name that you and others who follow this for the last since 1971, he's been a leader and was Secretary General of the Fatah Central Council. Now, he was arrested, and he's been charged, and they believe it's because <clears throat> the, the, the charge indicated that he was part of some conspiracy and, and, and maybe a coup. There's no coup, but these guys are all potential threats to Abbas's leadership, and we're seeing the deterioration that Fayad, who, who was Mr. Clean, whether he, in fact, I'm sure it's all relative in the in the PA, which is a kleptocracy all throughout. But we saw uh, Erekat, the, the leading negotiator of the Palestinians, coming up with new proposals, suggesting a new negotiating stance, which, <clears throat> I'm sorry, which is completely retroactive in the same that it goes back to the stages. Remember, we take what we can get and move on, write a return, withdraw recognition of Israel. I mean, everything that they had supposedly put forward over the years. Unbelievable. Before we, uh, before I go to station identification, I, I gotta mention one thing, Malcolm. <laughs> Kudos to the Inbal Hotel. The phone line sounds ten times better than your Brooklyn phone line <laughs> on a weekly basis. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'll do it from here all the time. If <laughs> this is unbelievable. Alex, I don't know what you're doing over there at the Inbal, but I'm gonna investigate when I'm there a month from now because it's just incredible. Malcolm Holmline is live in Israel. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program, heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 in the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world in the web, jmtheam.org. You know, it's funny, you uh, you got to Israel right in the middle of, you, you know what the big headline in Israel was when you got there, That's this whole gas and natural gas situation, which I'm now starting to finally understand why it is such a headline in Israel. Essentially, Israel or a private company in Israel is sitting on an, an incredible amount of natural gas under the water, and because of disputes over costs, taxes, I assume revenue sharing and things like that, everything is stalled. Does that basically sum up the situation? As far as I understand it, yes. And uh, Caroline... But I don't understand it either. Yeah, it's very difficult. And you know me. what? We have so many issues here, and I'll be seeing the Prime Minister and others in the next days. I, I assure you, this is not an issue I'm going to raise with him. No, that I understand. I'm sure, because it's painful, for one thing. But you're right. In Israel, it is a big issue. Well, that and, I understand. And it's one of a series of domestic issues that are problematic now. I understand you won't raise it, but you know, some would suggest, including Caroline Glick this week, that that Israel's shooting itself in the foot. That instead of cooperating and trying to move forward with these things and bringing in more investment money from other countries, they're they're losing billions of dollars now on a regular basis in foreign investments. And it dissuades people and right. foreign investment. So we know that. That is a serious issue. And, you know, <clears throat> in this region right now, Israel is an island of stability. 
increasingly so. I mean, if you look at all the reports we see now uh, over the last days, putting Iran aside for now, but even with BDS and everything else, that Israel's economy is, is sustained and it continues to uh, grow its, its uh, GDP and the population is growing, it is a stable place generally. You know, we saw the reports that Hamas and Hezbollah's growth in Europe, in Germany, for instance, they said that um, I think there were 950 or 60 active Hezbollah agents and 300 Hamas agents and posing a threat to the domestic situation in these countries. <clears throat> and these people were trained in Turkey and funded by um, um, Iran that went to, to carry out terrorist attacks. And Israel is preventing them by and large. So why they have to shoot themselves in the foot over these kind of issues, not explicable. But uh, it, there is precedence in Jewish history for this type of activity, so we shouldn't be we, sh- we shouldn't be surprised. Terror attacks this week. Here's a here's a topic to bring up with the prime minister because many people, I'm sure, around the world and certainly in Israel, are concerned about the safety and security of of people who are just traveling on the roads. We know that Malachi Moshe Rosenfeld is among the victims of terror attacks this week. Uh, he, he and three friends were ambushed. Uh, his father, one of the founders of Kochav HaShachar, a, a town that means a lot to these, uh, to our listeners here because our good friend Shlomo Zwickler lives there and is very, very close with the Rosenfeld family. The, um, this is a topic for the prime minister as, you know, we're not in the middle of a war now, thank God, and it's not like last summer, but these continuous incidents over the last three, four weeks, there have been one or two high profile incidents per week that claim lives or cause injuries, and that's something that could be brought up at the Prime Minister, this general safety and, and security. Uh, absolutely, and it is a top priority here. There were, in, <clears throat> I think in 2012, 600 and almost 700 incidents, and in 2014, over 1,800. So the, <clears throat> the growth of new tunnels, I apologize, I don't know what's the matter, that... Uh, uh, and the other activities are a great concern to the people. And unfortunately, you have incidents every other day. There's no question about that. All right, Malcolm, uh, seems like every week you're trying to help me and our audience understand more about ISIS and the and those who are trying to defeat ISIS. Let's start with Syria. Apparently, Syrian rebels this week, again, I try, I try to try to decipher which are real news stories and which are not. Very difficult these days. But apparently, Syrian rebels this week went ahead and executed ISIS fighters in the same manner that ISIS has been executing of others. Have, is this, is this uh, now a, an even playing field? Are Syrian rebels making progress against ISIS and the, and the enemy? Uh, yes and no. In different places, yes. In other places, no. <clears throat> but the the practice has now has been going on for some time. The executions, the the example set by uh, ISIS, is being replicated all over. So there are those who are giving ISIS fighters a taste of their own medicine. I I wasn't aware of that until I saw this article. It's revenge, and there's a lot of anger. A lot of families who have lost people. I can imagine the vast majority of people have. And you see those and, who are running with their families and just desperately trying to get out of ISIS areas at this point. And look what's happened to the Yazidis. Their buses were turned back at the border. I mean, this is really painful and horrific, and reminiscent of other periods. No question about uh, it. And very and, and a large uh, amount of silence from Washington and other places on these issues. In fact, did you see the study that showed that, that of the $500 million allocated to train rebels here, less than 100 rebels 
are here. In the Middle East. Being trained in the U.S. Oh, in the United States. Because you're, you're in the Middle East. You're in the Middle East. I thought you meant that. Met they won't there. come and that they're not committed and that they, um, and they're afraid. And, and, and it's also difficult to find any who are not tainted by extremist affiliations. Egypt is um, fight, battling ISIS in the Sinai. Are they making progress against them there? <clears throat> yes and no. <laughs> I guess it is the order of the day, by yeah. the way. And, and, and just in one second on Syria, look what they did at Palmyra, destroying these ancient artifacts. Right. And now there are reports that ISIS has taken over the area of Al-Kibar, which is where the reactor that Israel bombed was located, and supposedly there's 50,000 kilograms of natural uranium somewhere in that region, and they fear that they will get hold of that. The, the growth of the activities in Sinai, which has been building up for some time, there have been more than 300 attacks. The Egyptians killed nine uh, Muslim Brotherhood leaders in, a, in an raid in an apartment. Um, these are all connected today. Al-Qaeda, or ISIS rather, in Sinai becomes an amalgam of different groups who declare themselves ISIS, but Hamas has allegedly been associated with it. Now they're trying to distance themselves from it. The Egyptians did accuse them of being involved in in the um, in the attacks in the Sinai. Uh, the fact that you had so many people killed and that there could be such coordinated attacks is, you know, somewhat frightening. And they say they got anti-aircraft equipment and other things from Iran, from others. Um, and we're seeing that Hamas's leaders went to meet Nasrallah in uh, in Lebanon about uh, the reports of backdoor channels to Israel. And Hamas's close ties to the ISIS in Sinai has put them now in a in an additional vice, and they're being challenged in Gaza by ISIS, I mean, by it, the ISIS in Jerusalem, as it's called there. Challenge so, to challenge to do what? No, for the leadership, they want to take over. They think that Hamas is too close to Israel and Hamas is too moderate, and that's why they fire the rockets and why they've uh, challenged them on a number of fronts. So it's bad enough that Gaza was turned into a terrorist state under Hamas leadership. Now it actually could be become ISIS leadership. And ISIS base. Wow. And, everybody, and, and the implications of that are quite clear to everybody. And, well, yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, if, if, if last summer would then be considered a taste of what's to come, unfortunately. There are people who are talking about the fact that there will be another war. There will have to be some sort of an action. But in fact, Hamas does not want to see an escalation right now. They don't think they can afford it. They don't want it. <clears throat> but the events in Sinai are raising the stakes. Um, all right, so the date, uh, the, the, the final day of June has passed. We're now on July 3rd, so we're officially past the deadline in terms of the deal or potential deal or proposed deal, whatever you want to call it, with Iran. The, the last formal agreement, and formal is a bad word, the, the, the last framework that anybody has seen, was that the one in April? Was that the last framework of a exactly. deal? That was it. Yes. So it's already, that's, it. that's already almost three months old. Nobody has a cl- right. I shouldn't say nobody has a clue because there's some people in the know, but we have absolutely no idea, including yourself, have no idea what, what, what difference there is between where they are today and what was agreed to or discussed back then. I wouldn't include myself. <laughs> you might know it. No, okay. <laughs> Every, nobody really knows. And the members of Congress don't know yet. And part of the deal of the legislation that was passed by Congress and agreed to by the president, signed by the president, 
stipulates that he has to reveal even the secret codicils. Now, the question is, will we have an agreement altogether? Will they put it in writing? Will he not have to submit it because it won't be in writing? And what understandings are reached that we, we don't even know about if they reach an accord? So it's not clear yet what the ultimate the schedule will be. And remember, July 9th is an important deadline because after that, Congress gets 60 days rather than 30 days during which the deal is held up. So the the um, the question of what's in the deal, we've seen so many rumors and hear that there are associations and that they have some formula by which, without intruding into military places, they'll know. And the latest <clears throat> new thing, new twist, and it's hard to pin it down, I've tried, is that the inspections will only take place if they have reason for suspicion and that the IA inspectors have to demonstrate that they have a basis for suspicion before the inspections will take place. Well, that just negates the whole value of the inspections. The anywhere, anytime seems to be out of the window. And we see how the budget, for instance, of, of Iran, they, they increased by 50% the money to the IRGC, Iran Revolutionary Guard, 40% in Ministry of Interior, defense spending up 33%. So does anybody think that the money that's going to be released is going to help domestically and help the people, help the economy, or it's going to support their activities of Hamas, Hezbollah, terrorism around the region? And so there's a lot of false assumptions built into what will happen, what happens to the 100 to $140 billion sitting in escrow accounts. And that's in addition, you know, the, the Iranians are saying they want the relief right away. The United States says it will be staged. That is one of the sticking points. They're not yet at an accord. But I guess people who bet would bet right now that they're likely to come up with something by July 9th. It is not certain, though, because some of these principles that Khamenei has laid out, uh, even the United States, even the negotiators can't bypass. They're saying that they want the April Accord that you mentioned to be adhered to, and it has to be the basis for any agreement that is uh, that is reached now. You know, you said something that's unclear to me, and I'm sure unclear to others as well. I mean, I understand this congressional review, whether it's 30 days or, nine, or 60 days you just explained, but does Congress have a right to, or, or I should say it other, other, in another way, Congress will then have a right based on their, you know, perusal of the agreement to do what? To bring it to a formal vote, to make a recommendation to the president? Must they to vote it down? They can vote it down. Is, yes, but is they it, can't stop it because the president will will veto, and they have to have enough votes to override the veto, and that's what the battle is right now. But even more so, <clears throat> even if they, but but Congress can control the release of the sanctions that Congress implemented, yeah. but they can't control them the parties the P five plus one from going to the United Nations and removing sanctions, and what you will have is then the onslaught of all the businessmen running to Tehran. The French foreign minister has said he's going to go to Iran the week after or shortly after the signing of the deal, but 100 businessmen were told to prepare to go in September to start bidding on contracts and working uh, to, to do business with uh, Tehran. And so the, then they'll come back to American business and will say, look, we're being shut out because of the congressional yeah. action. But on my point, there's even a bigger problem if, if, if you're one who would not like to see a deal with Iran at this time, don't, don't trust the Iranians. The, the lobbying that the president and his administration are going to be doing in Congress 
to make sure that they have congressional support is going to probably be unprecedented, right? Probably, probably the most or close to what we've seen at any point during this administration. That's how meaningful this this agreement is going to be to the White House. You agree with that? And, and, and I agree that it will be like for the health care. Right. And that's going to be I very agree that hard. It will be intense, but I think the counter efforts, as you may have seen in the papers already, describing efforts by grassroots groups and others <clears throat> to get the message out to elected officials about why this is dangerous for America. It's not for Israel. It's not for the Jewish community. This is bad for America, that Iran represents a threat to us, our allies, our interests, and why this has to be stopped. When will they have international uh, ballistic missiles, Iran, or do they have it already? They have ballistic missiles. They can hit Europe. And the weaponization, we don't know because it's not covered by the agreement. So we don't know the degree to which they have already advanced their ability to fit a nuclear warhead onto a missile. And there will be missiles eventually that could hit North America at some point. That's the next stage, yes. And and we also don't know many other things, like <clears throat> the the amount of enriched uranium being taken out, that it's not meeting the criteria that were set... How many centrifuges, the new centrifuges, the centrifuges that are being allowed to be used for non-nuclear research. Nobody even talks about it because how fast can they be, be converted and be used again for nuclear research? You know, it's such a complicated and complex topic, and people, you know, look at it in black and white terms. You can't. This is, it's, it's really very hard. And the PMD issues, the, the possible military dimension issues, are really at the heart of it because if you don't have the baseline to measure it, then the inspectors have no idea where to look and if they see it, to measure it against what was and to see the level of violation. The one assumption you can all make is that Iran will cheat because they always have. And members of Congress recognize it. And I think the American people, they do not trust Iran. That is the black and white part, by the way. There is some black and white here. That Yes, I'm saying on that issue. But the complexities of each of these things that are presented sometimes to the American people in simple ways. I mean, I can't figure out what does it mean if you have to be able to show that you have some basis for assumptions. Everything should be available. If you don't have ready access to military sites and other facilities, then they can hide it. They have done it in the past. It wasn't we who discovered most of the, you know, uh, Natans and others. It was dissidents in Iran who tipped us off, or international community that tipped us off to to the existence of these places. Yeah. Well, no, normal behavior would be if your enemy is is arming itself and uh, you know has has proven to be one that's ready to take on anybody in this world that you try and to- is doing it now. As you cite, I mean, all the terrorism, who's supporting Hamas, who supports Hezbollah, who's behind them, who's funding them still? And and they are working against their, their neighbors, against the, the countries in the region, let alone against Israel. And many people this week were calling that they have to, <clears throat> I'm sorry, change their policy. Will there be an agreement before the end of the Obama administration? I'm not even asking about the end of July. Will there, I mean, is this possible to just linger on until the administration ends? Well, that would be very dangerous, too, I think. You know, there are people who say better no deal than a bad deal, which is true. But the problem is that throughout this time, Iran's income is increasing. Iran's economy is growing. And people told me who just came back from Tehran, Iranians, that you see fancy new cars around. You see the the people. You don't see demonstrations. There's a great deal of fear. They rule by fear. Uh, There is an upcoming election, which is a, a big issue for them. But, you know, they can always manipulate the result. Um, uh, so the idea that this could drag on 
is very possible, you know, that, that uh, the Iranians will say, well, we, another six months, another three months, another two months, and the U.S., which is hell-bent on getting a deal, as are some of our allies, even though they complain about the U.S. negotiating position, but they're not doing much better at it. Unbelievable. Uh, normally you would think that um, people would take every precaution possible to keep these <laughs> weapons and and potential destruction out of the hands of the enemy, but... The, the thought of it, if people understood all the ramifications and why for years, for 10 years, 20 years, I've been talking about the Iran's nuclear program since 1988, because we knew what Iran will do with this, and they've lied and obfuscated all along, and they will continue to do so. And though people don't like, they are bizarres, they can run circles around the Western negotiators... The, you know, they come in charging, charming. You see the pictures of them sitting around laughing at the table. You're laughing with a guy like Sarif, who himself has been a Holocaust denier, who himself has played a critical role, Rouhani. All these guys who played a role in the in the bombings of the Amiya and the, the Jewish Community Center. These are not innocent individuals, you know, who are pro-West and bringing new light and enlightenment. They have long histories. By the way, speaking of people with histories, I think we should note the passing this week of Nicholas Winton in, in Great Britain. Yeah, I didn't even know the there age, was a British uh, Schindler. At the age of 106, whom nobody really ever talked about, right. and because he didn't talk about it for 50 years, and it was only by chance that his wife found the records in the attic that it came out that he had saved 659 Jewish children in Prague. <clears throat> he himself is of Jewish descent. And had his parents converted to Christianity, and uh, they took the name. It was originally Wertheim, and then they became Winton. Um, and in order to assimilate, thinking they would progress better, he became a stockbroker. Was on went to Prague, found out about the children, organized eight transports. Unfortunately, there was an additional transport with 250 children, which was stopped at the border, and those children, by and large, perished. They were taken and allowed to get into Britain if he put up a bond for each one. And if families in Britain were willing to guarantee that they would give them a home, the Dutch, you know, gave them a rough time in it. I don't go through the whole history. Uh, and what's interesting also is that 357 or so of the, of those he saved have not been traced. So they may not know their real origin. Unbelievable. And the story. An era when compassionate behavior was the exception. Like today, where uh, normalcy sometimes look, look is the exception. Look what's happening with the Yazidis. Look what's happening. <clears throat> now the the deal may have been made to allow, between Assad and ISIS, to allow them to take control of the minority areas, which means that they will just wipe them out. Yeah. Scary yeah, the stuff. The UN Human Rights Commission is only obsessed with one thing, and they're voting today <laughs> on the condemnation of Israel. And how will that vote go? Oh, let's see. It's hard to predict, but I think against Israel. <laughs> That's a wild guess. Shockingly enough. Um, Malcolm Holmline, live from Jerusalem. Malcolm, thank you so much. Enjoy Shabbat in Yerushalayim, and good luck with those meetings with the Prime Minister and uh, all the other great work you're doing. Good luck. Hatzlach in Israel. Uh, we will give him chizuk from all the listeners of JM and the AM worldwide. Appreciate that. A lot of people are very concerned, that's for sure. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays here at JM and Candle lighting at 8.10 on this era of Shabbos. Sunday's a fast day. We'll observe Shavasar Batamos, which starts tonight. We'll observe it on Sunday.
uh, because uh, obviously tonight is Shabbos. Tomorrow, you, you get my point. Uh, July 4th is tomorrow, 39 years ago tomorrow on the secular calendar. One of the most amazing episodes of modern Jewish history. If your children don't know about Entebbe, please tell them about it. If your grandchildren don't know about it, please tell them about it. If your children and grandchildren don't know about it, please tell them about it. Kolakavod Latzahal.